The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional and the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, Protecting Yourself with a Personal Privacy Audit, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California Legislature. She served as a privacy expert for numerous court cases nationwide and at a White House press conference featured on C-SPAN. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about identity theft and what you can do to protect yourself and all sorts of important things about cybersecurity. And we happen to have Neil O'Farrell, who's been on our show before. Neil is one of the most experienced security experts, and he has been fighting cybercrime and identity theft around the world for more than 35 years. He was a member of the Federal Trade Commission Cybersecurity Roundtable and producer of the identity theft documentary In the Company of Thieves. As head of the nonprofit Identity Theft Consul, he has personally consulted thousands of uh, victims of identity theft himself. He's also founder of the Think Security First which is a national initiative to provide free security awareness training to every business and school in America, which is very much needed. You can find out more about him at our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy and also at the website for the Identity Theft Console, IdentityTheftConsole.org. Neil, thank you for joining us from, from the Bay Area. Hi, Mary. Great to be back, and, and thanks for inviting me. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about what the Identity Theft Council is and how it got started and what's it made up of, and let's do that first to give a little background. Sure. We started in, in 2009, and it really was kind of a, a community effort to combat identity theft. Identity theft was really beginning to surge back then, and uh, we had a lot of local police departments who were just overwhelmed with victims. Um, we had one small police department in a relatively small city where they were getting between two and 300 identity theft victims every month. So um, uh, I was asked to counsel some of these victims pro bono, just come and lend a helping hand. And we started with one and we ended up with 10 and then 100 and then 1,000. And uh, that's really how they, the council was born. It really was... Um, 
uh, people working together at a community level, bringing whatever skills and time they had to do a job that uh, there's such a, a, a dire need for. Yeah. Now, I know that you have, like, uh, some other organizations that have been uh, really collaborating with you. Why don't you kind of talk about those uh, organizations that have collaborated to get this started? Sure. We've worked with all kinds of organizations. I mean, uh, we've worked with hundreds of, uh, we still work with hundreds of police departments. We've worked with the FBI, the Secret Service. Uh, we've worked with the Federal Trade Commission and the Federal Communications Commission. Uh, we have partners like the Elder Financial Protection Network who are focused on uh, um, elder crimes, and in our case, our focus is on protecting the elderly and seniors from identity theft. Uh, the Online Trust Alliance, we've had some really great partners join us over the years who share their knowledge and skills and you know, help um, carry the load. So how do you get your financial support? Because you're not the Federal Trade Commission. I know you're a nonprofit, but how do you all get your financial support? Well, we don't. Um, and this has been a, a, a part of the challenge. Uh, you know, we've received some donations over the years, for example, to make our uh, the documentary in the Company of Thieves, where we actually went inside some California prisons and interviewed some of the most notorious identity thieves. But other than that, uh, it's been a funding drought. It's kind of like the climate out here in California. <laughs> um, identity theft is just a thing that people don't want to donate money to because they don't really consider it um, a true crime, um, yeah. which is sad when you consider the you know what identity theft victims have to go through. Well, how about the companies, the major companies that are involved with that? You know, we're, if whether we're talking about the banks or the credit bureaus, or talking about the, you know, the whole financial industry, or whatever. I mean, are they part of, are they able to help support this uh, wonderful agency? Well, you think they would, but they haven't been very forthcoming. Um, I remember when we first started, we were having a conversation with a one of the top credit card companies, and they were looking at investing you know, or donating up between one hundred and fifty and three hundred thousand dollars to get us started. We were so excited. We had we we had so so many great plans for that money, and we, we talked and we talked and we talked. And after a few months, they came back with an offer that really kind of floored me. They they said, you know, we'd be interested in moving forward as long as you don't talk too much about identity theft. <laughs> and their concern was, if you talk to people too much about identity theft, consumers get scared. And if they get scared, well. They stop using their credit cards. They stop shopping online. They, they, they stay away from uh, mobile banking. And we thought, you know, we, we, we can't take donations with that kind of price attached. And, and that was the reaction we got from a lot in the financial community. Really, you know, don't be so forthcoming with the harsh truth because it will scare consumers, and scared consumers are, are, are not good for business. And the reality is, you know, consumers are scared anyway. And, and the more you talk about it, the less scared they are, the more confident they are. But it really has been a struggle um, getting the financial industry to step up and, uh, and support us. Right. Well, you know, a lot of the, their victims as well, you know, I mean, it, it, they are the ones that have to deal with it with their embarrassment. If there's a big security breach, they're the ones who have to deal with it. If people come back and say, wait a minute. Your company uh, lost all my information, or the hospital lost my information, and I became a victim. Or you had some insider that took my information <laughs> and went to town with it. So I mean, they they uh, 
they have some embarrassment themselves uh, when there is that kind of a security breach where somebody becomes a victim, don't they? Yeah, and that's the good and bad of it. I mean, they carry the majority of, of the costs, uh, which is kind of, I think, uh, make them decide, well, why should we spend money on victim support when we're doing so much uh, to prevent and to help victims recover and, you know, zero liability and all that, all that kind of stuff. But the effect that's had on the consumer, the negative effect, is that mm -hmm. it's made them kind of apathetic. You know, it's like one of those dreams where you're dreaming that you're, you're, you've been shot a, a dozen times and you look down and there are no bullet holes. That's kind of the the effect that identity theft has had. You, you hear about it so much and there are so many victims of so many crimes, but consumers are not feeling it directly themselves in their own wallets and purses. And so it's created a kind of apathy where they're not screaming for help and for justice, and when they're not screaming, the banks aren't listening. Yeah, you know, I, I think for credit card fraud, that makes a lot of sense to me what you're saying they're not hearing it because uh, they're not feeling it because they call up their credit card company and they tell them there's fraud and then you know as long as they tell them within 60 days there's no problem but you know the victims that call me neil which i'm sure a lot of them call you too are the ones that are victims that are, they can't get their money back from the bank you know or they've been victims of, uh, you know, because that's a little bit different. If it's not a credit card, if it was debit card fraud, or if there was um, a wire transfer fraud, then that isn't so easy to get their money back. In fact, the banks really fight you on that. And if there's something, you know, like uh, other kinds of fraud, criminal identity theft and medical identity theft, that isn't just, you know, people really feel that, don't you think? Yeah, and that's part of the irony of it when it comes uh, specifically to the differences between credit cards and banks. The zero liability notion that credit are, are, are offer that credit card companies make is really a voluntary thing, and, and they did it wisely years ago because they felt that that would bolster consumer confidence, that they wouldn't be held liable. And by the way, we're one of the few countries on the planet that has it. In most of the countries, the, the consumer is, is liable for fraud. With, with, in the case of the banks, they are required by a raft of legislation to provide a version of zero liability, but quite often don't. Uh, and you're right, we've seen victims, you know, if it's 50 bucks or, or you know, $100, and uh, they complain to the bank, they'll make good, let's say it was a fraudulent check or an ATM withdrawal right. because of a, of a, of, of a, um, uh, you know, some kind of uh, credit card scam. Um, uh, or debit card scam, but when you get up into the, the high hundreds, five, six, seven hundred, we find repeatedly that they, the banks dig in their heels and they will actually lie to the customers right. and claim that there is no zero liability, they're, they're not responsible, they're not liable, and they put the, they put the victim through this, this uh, hamster wheel. Well, you know, in the case of skimming, for example, where you use a card at a, uh, at a, uh, a checkout at a supermarket, and the bank will ask you these, these trick questions, knowing that you really don't have a good answer. Well, did you ever lose your card? No. Did you ever uh, loan it to anyone? No. Did, did you ever share your PIN? No. Well, the, well, who else could it have been? Uh, yeah, right. Well, that, you know, when skimmers install these devices, they get your card number, they get your PIN number without you volunteering it. Exactly. And they use these excuses to refuse to make uh, victims whole. Right. Yeah. That's why I tell people never, ever have a debit card. I have an ATM card that I travel all over the world, and I can get money out of my account, but I would never have a debit card just because I get so many people who 
tell that kind of stuff to me. And the other thing is check fraud, you know, when somebody just makes up new checks at Office Max or something <laughs> and then steals all the money. I've had people that call me that thousands of dollars are, are taken out of their account by people making new checks that weren't even their checks. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the thieves the thieves call that rolling dirty. They actually have their own uh, factories in their vehicles. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember coming across one identity thief who was a thief who was pulled over in Northern California, and he had one of these. He had a little printing factory in the back of his car, and when they went back to the uh, the motel he was staying at, they discovered the identities of over a million and a half individuals wow. in his hotel room. So he had the entire population of the city of Pittsburgh, of twice the city of Pittsburgh, wow. in his hotel room. Uh, and he was just, he wasn't, um, you know, top of the pyramid by any, by any means. Wow, yep, yep. So uh, what else is, are there new trends that you're seeing in identity theft? Well, w what we're seeing is just an awful lot more of the same. Yeah. And, and that's part of the challenge of fighting identity theft. It can happen in so many ways. It can be still someone as, as simple as someone stealing your mail from your mailbox. Uh, it can be organized crime. It can be data breaches. It can be malware, ransomware. Uh, I mean, it's estimated now that there are uh, little more than 10,000 identity theft gangs operating in the United States. And that's everything from organized crime to uh, cartel-connected crime uh, gangs to street gangs to motorcycle gangs. There are very few criminals from, um, you know, uh, lone wolves, just uh, opportunists, right up to global organized crime who are not involved in identity theft. Yeah, yeah, and then you've got, you know, these uh, people who are sitting at their kitchen table in Russia doing this kind of stuff, and and then there's the, you know, the unscrupulous insiders and corporations that that do this as well. So it's it's all over the place. So. You know, sometimes people think, well, I have credit monitoring. I'm going to be totally safe. What do you say to them? Uh, think again. <laughs> um, you know, I, I always say that because these identity protection products don't stop any identity theft, that's why every consumer needs them. And it's, you know, th there is no product that you can buy. There's no service you, you can subscribe to that will stop identity theft. If it was that easy... Um, the financial industry would pay for everyone to have round-the-clock monitoring, and they wouldn't be, you know, seeing these billions and billions of dollars in losses. These services do very little to stop identity theft. Uh, where they really kick in is after you've been a victim and you have that panic moment and you wonder, oh, God, what am I going to do now? How am I going to pr prove it wasn't me? I, how am I going to prove that I wasn't in Georgia or, mm -hmm. or New York or Uzbekistan the time that charge was made? Um, so they are of more value after you've been a victim, which is good in a sense because we have to assume now that there's so much stolen information in circulation. Every American at some point is going to be a victim of identity theft, yeah. if not already. So you're really going to need these services. out. They're certainly very useful after you've been a victim, but they provide very little value in stopping identity theft. Yeah. I mean, if you have credit monitoring, you're going to see if somebody is applying for credit in your name. I mean, that's the only time you could probably um, catch it early is if you're looking at the inquiry section of your credit report that shows who has gotten your credit report. And if you see a company that, you know, some 
mortgage company, for example, that you're not even applying to get a mortgage or refinance and you see a mortgage company on your credit report, you can immediately call them or find out, you know, why is that? And, um, and then you could maybe, you know, stop it. But, but it's only for credit, right? Loans and credit. That's, that's it. It's not for medical identity theft. It's not for criminal identity theft, government benefit identity theft, IRS fraud, right? It's not for any of that other stuff. No, and it's usually after the fact. You're notified as it's happened, as it's happening, or after it's happened. And something as simple as a free fraud alert will do most of that for you. Or if you're freezing your credit reports, that just stops it uh, right. uh, completely. But you're right. Um, it doesn't stop someone from uh, filing fraudulent tax returns, right. from opening new bank accounts, uh, from applying for for work, uh, from committing you know social security benefit fraud. You're right, and criminal identity theft. You know someone is arrested right. and they use your identity, and it's not going to be flagged on a credit report. It's not going to be caught by your credit monitoring system. You're going to find it when you're pulled over for you know a bus taillight, and you're arrested because you have ten outstanding warrants. Right. Um, and I've seen people uh, have their lives turned upside down by that kind of identity theft, even when they had, even when they were paying $20 a month for identity protection. Oh, yeah. And I, I had a guy that I was helping him for a few years pro bono, and he had been working um, at uh, Los Angeles Airport in security, and he had a security clearance and everything for seven years. He worked for this company in security. And um, and then he was looking to get a promotion, and they did a background check, and they fired him. And somebody else had used his identity and committed crimes, and it, it totally messed him up. And um, he he couldn't get his job back. He ended up literally homeless for a while. I mean, I helped him, and now he's living in another state, and he's doing fine. And we finally got it cleared up, but he never got... Uh, you know, he never got really much for it, and it, even the company that would that fired him, um, they said, "Well, we relied on the government. We relied on TSA for this." And TSA, you know, try try suing TSA. You know, <laughs> so it was. Um, I mean, I finally got him to get his life back, and he has a job now. But it was years, and literally, he and his wife. His wife had a miscarriage. It was just a. It was a total emotional upheaval. So let's talk a little bit about um, some people. I know you're a security expert. How did you get to be a security expert? Let's kind of go back a little bit on that. Wow, you're going back a long ways now. I think there were <laughs> horses and buggies, and I think they were just experimenting with a thing called flight. Um, this is my 36th year uh, in security. So I came from a fashion background. My family owned... Um, a number of uh, tweed mills, tweed factories in Ireland uh, going back about 100 years. And I was going to be the third generation to go into this business. And we were making clothes for Coco Chanel and Yves Saint Laurent. And that's what I grew up with. Yeah. And I decided to go to um, college to study marketing so I could learn about branding, which was just beginning to come into the you know, the next kind of fashion back then. And it was all derailed when a friend showed me a thing called a keylogger, how he was able to insert a floppy disk, remember those? Um, into the um, to the drive of a computer and steal passwords. Mm. And I was I was just so hooked. I mean, it was so James Bond. Yes. And I thought, <laughs> if there are computers, there's going to be computer security. Um, and I remember rushing home to my mother and telling her, you know, Mom, Mom, I know what I want to be. I know what I want to do when I leave college. You know, I want to I want to be in co computer security. And she kind of looked at me and said, you know, 
that's that's wonderful use on on number nine. But you know what, the computer. Uh, so it was, you know, it was uh, it was it was an accidental career, and it was one of the few times in life that my hunch has been right wow. for the wrong for all the wrong reasons. Divine timing and divine direction. Let's talk a little bit. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about um, you know cybersecurity, and um, you know what do you think is going to save uh, save us with regard to you know all the big investments that are being made? Do you, do you think what's the answer for cybersecurity? Got any? I think I think we have to backtrack and kill the internet mm. because the internet is the is really the most exploited technology uh, because if we're not connected, we can't be attacked. It's almost impossible. So the internet gives them access to us because we're getting access to everything else. You know, we're banking online, we're living online, we're communicating, we're we're socializing, we're um, uh, everything we do is virtually on, uh, online. That's where all the attacks are coming from, and it's it's impossible to stop. Um, and it's it's just getting worse. And and so it it really takes two things to create opportunities for hackers, the internet and people. And yeah. uh, I don't know who, I don't know how you get rid of either. <laughs> uh, you know, the attackers take advantage of mistakes that humans make. You click on the wrong thing, you create a weak password, you visit the wrong website, you don't update often enough. All these are human mistakes. Uh, or or you have a social Yeah, or you have a social engineer you know the like the, the you know the hackers that are just social engineers that get you to give up certain logins or whatever because you believe that they're really uh, someone fixing your computer who who contacts you right I mean it could be something that somebody is just so good at social engineering and like the Kevin Mitnicks of the world that uh, were you know have that's part of their art to do that. You know, it's uh, but but you can't. I mean, the Pandora box is open. So I mean, we're not going to be able to put things back into the box and close the box, are we? No, I mean we can't get rid of the internet and we can't get rid of humans. At least <laughs> not, not on a, not a, not on a sufficiently <laughs> large scale to be feasible. Um, I, I think I, I think rule number one is paranoia. I think I mean the world is changing in a lot of ugly ways. And I think uh, paranoia is one of those, but it's the only thing that's really going to save. You have to be paranoid about everything you do and you say. Um, I mean, an obvious thing is when the IRS sends you an email saying you owe money and you're going to jail. Well, you know. Call um, the number that's on the Internet that for the IRS. That's, that's <laughs> right. And it's, it's, it's the IRS Bangalore office. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, your common sense should tell you that that's a scam. But right. People still fall for it, or that you won the lottery, or or, or the grandparents scheme. Yeah. The gra- exactly. Are you related to a Nigerian prince? They know <laughs> I might be all of the above, but not right now, please. <laughs> um, so caution and paranoia, vigilance—all these important words are really your best bet because, you know, I, I I've always said that the most powerful crime-fighting technology of them all is the red wedged right between your ears. It's it's your common sense, it's your caution, it's your vigilance. If you don't click, if you don't do what they ask, they lose. Um, it's not a cure-all, but it certainly will prevent most of the attacks that uh, smaller businesses and consumers are vulnerable to. Yeah, you got to be suspicious. But but I got a question. What about the Internet of Things when my refrigerator is going to talk to everybody and, and do things? 
when um, when my smart meter for my electric, everything when everything's connected when uh, when something let's say I have something injected in me that's going to tell my doctor if uh, my sugar is good or not. I, I, mean, I don't have diabetes, but people have that. What about that? We're going to be so connected everywhere. What can we do about that? Well, it, it, isn't it funny going back to paranoia? If you think that your dishwasher is gossiping about you with your TV, <laughs> you're probably right. You know, talk about talk about mean appliances. But yeah, I mean, this this the stuff that's in your house is listening to you and talking to each other and talking to others. I mean, think about the the statistics. There are uh, somewhere around six six and a half billion internet connected devices in the world today. So you're talking about the stuff that's in your home, your thermostat, your washing machine, your dishwasher, your phone, your modem, all that kind of stuff. But also industrial and commercial commercial IoT, the stuff, you know, industrial automation, driving down the street, lights are now connected to traffic lights, are connected to traffic monitors, are connected to police stations. Cars are going to drive themselves. They're already driving themselves, right? Yeah, and I'm I'm not so I'm not so I'm not so worried about that. Well, I'm not so sure it will ever happen. I mean, if you think about this, when I used Google Voice the other day, yeah, to uh, to to, to find call? out about Saint yeah. Saint Patty's Day, yeah, it came up Saint Patty as in the female. So if Google <laughs> can't get that right, I'm not letting it drive my car. I know but they've it, had some accidents too already. <laughs> yes, yeah, I guess it's. You know, surprise, surprise. They're 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 as robots or as human as we are. But it, but what really worries me. I mean, we're looking at in a couple of years, we're going to have about 20 million of these devices. The most frightening statistic that I saw recently was three quarters of the IoT devices that are in our lives today have been developed by companies that are less than three years old, which mm. means startups. And we know startups are the worst of all when it comes to privacy and security. They right. are rushing so fast to get the products out, to capture market share, to right. raise funding, funding to get some kind of an exit. Right. They don't think about privacy and security, and they're building our products. That's right. They're not doing what we call privacy by design, where they put exactly. right into the t- architecture, and then they try and fix it later, and it's, you know, it's really too late. I read recently that my iPhone, Siri, who's on my iPhone, if I say, Siri, call, call my husband, you know, or something that 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 now is being shared. You know that they're keeping that it, whatever I ask, or if I tell it something, that that's that's not private either. So I mean, it, it, when when we talk about being paranoid, <laughs> I think there's some reality, or you know, or now that you can understand. Yeah, it's it's totally understandable. So, uh oh, oh goodness. I usually don't. I usually don't have that one on during the show. Okay. I think, that, I think that's Siri calling. <laughs> that's right. He didn't like what I had to say, did he? <laughs> so, um, what advice? You know, we've got just a couple minutes left. Do you have some advice for business owners? We always talk on the show about you know advice for consumers. Do you have some advice for us business owners about protecting our our sensitive data on our clients and our customers? Yeah, I, I, I do. I think business owners don't have big security budgets, but their their best, first, and cheapest line of defense is their employees. 
Um, and the, 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 the easiest fix for most small businesses is to relentlessly train your employees to mind what they say, mind what they do, mind what they click on. I remember years ago I had a startup. We were building encryption systems, and we were taking on the NSA. So we were taking on some real heavyweight enemies, and we knew our phones were being tapped. Every phone had a sticker on it that simply said, mind what you say. Yeah. So every time someone was making a phone call, they got a security awareness reminder. That is the easiest thing that every small business can do every single day. Make those employees paranoid about how they handle data, how they share information by email, how they use laptops and, 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 and tablets and phones, what they do when they're outside the office. It's all about awareness, and it doesn't cost a dime. Yeah, and do some training, uh, real training, right? That's that's so. I just wanted to have we have just a, a a little little tiny bit left. Just give your website and then just briefly tell what they can find there. Sure, our website is identitytheftcouncil.org, uh, and you'll find a great photograph of me with lots of information about how to protect yourself, about how to build that uh, paranoia skill set. We've also got some great guides. We have a Think Security First guide. It's about 30 pages, and it goes through everything that we've discussed, from mobile security to protecting your kids online to privacy to protecting your small business. Lots of free tools, lots of free advice. Um, go to Think Secure or, or go to uh, IdentityTheftCouncil.org. Neil, you are wonderful. Thank you so much, and we will have you back again. Keep in touch. Thanks so much. Always happy to do this. Thank uh, you so okay. much. Keep up the good fight. Man. All righty. You too. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI 88.9 